Dear listeners, some of you may be wondering, what's happening to the crypto markets? On November 25th, Bitcoin dipped below $3,600, and Ethereum was straddling around $100. This might be concerning to many, because this time last year, Bitcoin was over $20,000, and Ethereum was over $1,000. So, you know, coming down over 90% is a big deal. And many people who are still learning about blockchain are getting pretty spooked about all this volatility. But applications in healthcare are still being developed. If you are a healthcare provider, a payer, or an administrator without a technical background, and you want to understand all this blockchain stuff a little bit better, you should check out a new online Udemy course meant to teach non-technical people about blockchain's implications on healthcare. The simple course includes sections on cryptography, consensus mechanisms, smart contracts, and how they apply to the healthcare industry. You can even take the course on your phone, and you'll be able to get a certificate when you complete it. The course is $200, but you can get it for $75 if you use promo code HEALTHUNCHAINED, which is one word, HEALTHUNCHAINED. You could find the link in the show notes or search for blockchain and healthcare on udemy.com. It should be the first result, and it was created by Jacob Dreyer from Simply Vital Health. And I'd like to thank Simply Vital Health for creating this coupon code for my listeners. So please take advantage, and I'm looking forward to hearing about your experiences with the course. Welcome to episode 19 of Health Unchained. Thank you all for tuning into the show, and I gotta say, I really appreciate everyone who's reached out to me to show support for the show and to give me feedback. I hope you enjoyed the last set of episodes, 16 through 18, from the Distributed Health event in Nashville. In this episode, I speak with Dennis Zhang, co-founder and CEO of Boston-based VitaData. He's their token economics architect, and he talked to us about how Vital's data, like heart rate and movement, can be shared for monetary compensation. He has a PhD in economics and worked as a vice president at State Street Bank. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram. I recently tweeted a link with a running list of most healthcare blockchain projects thus far. 152 projects since October 8th. I thought it was really helpful because the companies were broken down by industry and by function. Hi, I'm your host, Ray Dogan, and welcome to Health Unchained. On this show, I'll be speaking with healthcare entrepreneurs, thought leaders, and executives who are using blockchain technologies to revolutionize healthcare. These innovators are building the distributed infrastructure and diverse communities required for a trusted, secure, and decentralized healthcare ecosystem. Enjoy the show. What is blockchain? What is blockchain? The doctor will see you now. Welcome everyone to Health Unchained. Today I have Dennis Zhang. He is the co-founder and CEO of VitaData, and he's also a BU PhD graduate in economics. I'm also a BU graduate. I went to school there for my MBA and MS in information systems. So um, go Terriers. Welcome, Dennis, to the show. Thank you for joining. Hi, everyone. It's my pleasure to join the uh, House and Chamber. Great. Uh, maybe we can kind of start with you know your background, and I understand that you spent a lot of time doing research on economics and finance. So I was also, I was wondering what drove you into the healthcare industry? 
Oh, that's an excellent question. So my background is uh, is uh, with the data analytics all the time, uh, including my PhD, also my work experience, but I'm focused uh, mainly on the financial sectors and the risk management. Um, healthcare data actually is uh, relatively new to me, but uh, in terms of understanding how data works, it, it's not new. Um, and also healthcare, because we we are all based in Boston right now, and uh, Boston has a lot of hospitals and pharmaceutical companies. We have friends around uh, who's working in either healthcare sectors or like medical research. Um, one of the things that join me into this field is because of uh, um, I do have friends around who have uh, serious health issues, and they are looking for um, immediate help in terms of the. Uh, uh, with medical treatment uh, or and try to get uh, themselves into programs like medical for clinical trials and to get a better health state uh, or treatment but like uh, they don't have the way of doing so and not because not because of uh, um, they don't want to essentially just not be able to um, have a channel and to get into such a program. So essentially, it's like they don't have a way to know where or when to find this type of a research program. So I think in terms of that, healthcare data actually would be a portal for them to find the right help they need and also for help um, the medical researcher to find the right data source for themselves too. So it's kind of a women's situation here. So that's why I'm interested. Yeah, I see. And you, you know, you talk about clinical trials and the recruitment process is not very simple. You're, you're saying uh, for current clinical trial programs, how does it, how does it work now in your perspective and what you've done research on? Uh, sure. So, so right now, just to give everybody a background on this. So, in general, the size, the market size for clinical research or clinical trials is huge. It's like a sixty. Uh, 65 billion by 2025. Uh, but if you look at the process, it uh, is like the budget, whole budget will be used for either patient recruitment or like vendor fees or site recruitment and uh, retention, etc. So the there are one third of that budget of the clinical research budget is allocated to patient recruitment, or it's like finding the data source, and that's almost like 20 billion. Is huge. And currently, a lot, because because of the uh, jurisdiction regulation compliance requirement um, of the research itself, mo most of the clinical trials are relying on um, offline uh, channels to find the patients, uh, including hospitals and uh, like centers to find the patients they need for their particular research. So most of them are go through the offline tra channels. Yeah. That's interesting. I want to talk a little bit about the you know, the regulatory aspect of it and how jurisdiction of, you know, where the patient is matters in terms of what's legal and what's not legal for clinical trials organizations. But we'll get to that a little bit later. Okay, I kinda, yeah. I kind of want to ask you, you know, you know, Vita Data incorporates blockchain into its process and operations. How did you first hear about blockchain? Um, I had a friend who was working on his uh, her project like uh, in late 2016, um, applying blockchain technology on something like a trade finance uh, application scenarios. And uh, from there, 
I was introduced to the field. And when I look into the technology, I was fascinated how it works actually in the P2P world without an authority. And this is a very cool technology in terms of uh, validating transactions without a third party, and which means like you can do this. Um, you can do this even for transactions like uh, very like a, something like a, currently you cannot do it without authority, but you can do this in, using blockchain technology. Then it becomes feasible, and that's going to be very helpful for certain scenarios, so especially for cross-border, cross-jurisdiction, and where like there's no way to find a third party, or it's very costly to find a third party to endorse both counterparties in the transaction. But isn't isn't there aren't there laws against doing that? Uh, well, I think uh, I don't think that there's laws against to it. Depending on how you do it, technology is neutral, right? Technology itself is neutral. The indifferent, it really depends on people how you want to apply it. You can apply it in a good way or bad way. So that's where the law can come in to uh, sh turn it off. But in terms of for technology itself, I, it's a uh, it's just technology. It really depends on how people are using it, right? Right. I understand that. But, like, for example, in the telehealth space, a provider who's licensed in Massachusetts only, they can't treat somebody over telehealth if the patient is in, for example, New Jersey. You know, they, they are not, they're not able to treat that person over telehealth because um, they have to be licensed also in New Jersey to be able to do that. I don't know enough about the clinical trial regulations to kind I of... see. Yeah, actually, me neither. Um, I'm not also... Um, I kind of claim myself as an expert for clinical trials, but one thing is uh, there's... Uh, like, if you go to stage three and stage four, um, there's a multi... They can do multi-set, multi-site uh, recruitment in terms of uh, getting uh, diversified background patients into the program, including foreign uh, patients. But certainly, you cannot recruit the patients directly by yourself. You have to work with somebody who's licensed to do so in under that jurisdiction to do it. Okay. So, but like for us, what we are trying to do is we try to identify the data source like uh, uh, more efficiently in a way. It's like finding the right person fitting the requirement in terms of data requirement. Okay. But for regulatory compliance, that's going to whole different workflows, which will plan to work with uh, whoever in that, uh, like, consider, like, uh, uh, counterparties in that, under that jurisdiction and to make that happen. So when you yeah. say data sources, um, I, you know, I can imagine clinical data being one sort of data source. What other types of data sources are you talking about here? Um, so for data source, it really depends on what kind of clinical research you are talking about. Um, so one, it could be, it could, it, it really depends on like if you're talking about certain, uh, like, so what kind of, yeah, let's, let's take an example that maybe you've um, had some experience with. Oh, <clears throat> um, well, that's a hard question. Uh, I'm not a part of a, a clinical trial program per by myself yet, um, but um, what I learned from my friends and my uh, my advisors is that they, for example, right. So if they have a autism related program, research program, so they are recruiting patients, and the patients will come in, right. So the data source that they are actually using, including behavior data, 
behavior data in terms of like uh, uh, tracking their movements, uh, acceleration, their vital characteristics, and how they actually behave in the daily life. That's one part. The other part is like imaging data. Imaging data like brain scans, like MRI, CATs, all that stuff. And other this could be other stuff like wet lab results uh, in terms of like uh, you could also doing uh, checking the bacteria stuff when you within the bowels and to find out if anything trigger the um, dysfunctional of your brain. And there's uh, also uh, data related to genome sequence, kind of a pin down the source of where is there's a genetic uh, mutation which uh, triggers the dysfunction. So, so for that program itself, you will see that it has a diversity data source and looking for variety. It could be complex enough so that you you're gonna need looking facing a situation where like a different type of data need to be collected. So that's really interesting. You mentioned how there's all this type of movement data and um, all, all the other sources of data, but particularly the movement data I'm interested in because what you've done with Vita data, or at least what I've seen, is you're able to collect accelerometer information and heart rate information and put it on the blockchain in some way. So you're taking medical IoT devices and you're putting it on the blockchain. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, so um, so we... So basically, the way we work, we, we choose to work with the most of the digital data, which we can collect through IoT devices. So one reason for that is uh, um, because the data quality is always a concern for medical research. Uh, we do not want to get an institution where the data could be tampered by manually uh, manipulation. Therefore, we choose to work with the uh, information which is already uh, digital. Then that will be most straightforward through IoT devices. Um, so, so, what, so some devices you have, like you use a Fitbit or what kind of, um, it can work with uh, pretty general major brands of IoT devices, including Fitbit, our Garmin, iHealth, um, you name it. So, uh, so most of the, most of the trackers that has a vital data also, uh, depends on the type of what devices so you could have some special data available, like, uh, you know, blood pressure, um, blood oxygen and things like that. Accelerometer data, that's a part of it for a moment. And actually it's very helpful to better understand the context of where the data is generated and like what actually happens around it. Essentially, it gives you some more flavor of the environment to where the data generated to better understand uh, the data quality and the implications. I see, it gives some, some context around the um... Exactly. One one simple example is like your heart rate is like 160. Let's say per minute, right? So if you are doing a marathon, you say you're running. Okay, that's a that's normal. But if you sit still, you still have 160 of uh, per minute of heart rate. Then that's a problem. <laughs> yeah. That's how simple that, it is. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, tell me more about how the company Vita Data was started. Like, how did you co-found it? How, how did you meet your partners? Oh, yeah, we are, um, actually, we started with the MIT uh, Bitcoin Club uh, Hexon, like uh, this uh, this March and May, around March and May. Uh, sorry, March and April, actually. So we started with that project, and we talked to some of the judges uh, um, uh, in the Hexon, and I guess some positive feedback. They think uh, they have been seeing a lot of projects uh, trying to attack similar issues, but nothing really stands out in terms of... Uh, 
um, you know, finding finding the root cause and uh, get a practical solution for it. Um, so what we're so we are kind of thinking kind of out of the box because uh, we are not part of the healthcare industry. Actually, that's a benefit advantage so that we can think out of the box and to see what's actually should work or make most sense uh, from our perspective. And we'll just go straight to that uh, bottleneck issue instead of trying to cover everything. Right. So you think that there's demand for verifiable tracking data of vitality data for people. So right now, systems can collect it, but it'll be in a centralized system. So it gets sent to a cloud. You know, you have all your movements and blood pressure um, and your pulse for the entire day if you have like the new iWatch for example um, and that's collected and it's stored in clouds and it generally people kind of trust in that data but you're saying or I think what you're saying or what your company is trying to do is provide a more trusted layer so that we don't have to rely on uh, potentially false cloud information is that right? Uh, yeah, so a couple of, a couple of advantage of doing so. Um, first of all, the, the platform itself is a, a general, like a digital health data uh, sharing platform, okay. right? So the the platform will collect whatever data available in terms of like digital format uh, from the IoT devices you're using, okay? But it's, um, if it's just like a recreational uh, grade, then there will be just the, some simple data from your vital. And if it's a medical grade, the data quality certainly can be used for certain medical research directly. Um, so the platform is, uh, where is it, the, the, the quality of the data is uh, mainly decide, determined by the devices you're using. Um, we believe that in your trend as, a, as it evolves going forward, when all the devices are getting uh, better quality, uh, better sensor, or better methodology, uh, methods of collecting data, and we'll get to some place where the data collected through the devices can be directly used for medical research. Uh, that's the one thing. Second is uh, why we use in blockchain in this case. So, um, because we are talking about you know, P2P network without authority, so we don't have to rely on anybody to uh, endorse the data quality or the uh, like the, the integrity, data. like the integrity yeah, of the exactly, data. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you. That's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> so they essentially, this is a, uh, so that, that means like this is a, this is a provides that your, the way we, we, we make architect, like when we come up with the architect is we allow the data owner to create the data, but not be able to edit or to change. You can delete and nobody else can do it. Okay. So once it's created, the data will be there forever. You don't have to use it, but nobody can temper it. So that's kind of a keep the neutrality of uh, or objective uh, attribute of the data itself. So and also we allow the data to choose to be stored in an encrypted, encrypted way and to make sure the data is secure. And also we give the data owner the control, the, the, the access authorization right, which means they can control how their own data will be used by who and in what way. Therefore, it essentially, also we bring the control of your the data to the data owner, which cannot be done before because of uh, technical difficulties. I see. So, you know, we talk about the data owners, which are the people and the individuals that are producing and generating data with their IoT devices, you know, for example. Who are the data users? 
uh, data users actually could be um, can can be multiple stakeholders throughout the healthcare industries, including like insurance health health insurance companies. Um, could be public uh, public health uh, management organizations, either research department of different universities, and also like NIH or CSC type of uh, 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 government agencies uh, to studying the trend in public health. Third will be hospitals and pharmaceutical companies and CROs who are doing medical research and clinical trials. And a fourth one, and even in terms of uh, IoT device companies, they can use a platform to track how their data are being, like how the data collected through them compared with the data collected with others and then try to benchmark say hey how their device uh how how what's the data integrity out of their device essentially say that is there a consistent bias things like that so yeah so the the data can be used in multiple ways well let's talk about data privacy and how you're using different encryption security methods uh sure um, so when, when we're talking about data quality, data uh, security parties, so we all, always mention about the two layer, the double layer encryption mechanism. One is the encryption algorithm used for data itself. It's a, a symmetric way of doing it. It's a similar, it's like uh, it's encrypted. And if you want to, it's, which means like the, the K of encryption and, and decryption is the same. That's a, that's why it's called symmetric, and that's for data encryption. And on top of that, uh, when someone wants to access the data, they will send the request through the data owner with their public address or public key, and then public key will be used combining the data encryption key to generate a data access authorization key. Um, this key is asymmetric, so a couple of choices will be two fifty six. 256-bit RSA or 2048-bit RSA, and so based using this, and you give it back to the data request, the data user, whoever requested, and then they can they can decrypt this key using their private key, so that to recover the data decryption key. What if the user happens to lose their private key? Well, that's a hard question. <laughs> so yeah, so uh, I think people are trying to come up with ways of to recover private key in case of where they lost it, and through like a Nemo, um, like a twelve, twelve, like a certain number of a short phrases in that way, and then you can recover it. But uh, in general, so whatever we take, we take the best of practice in the blockchain technology and to um, better enhance the 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 security of it. Uh, but also, like we have to remind or the who the users to be careful of storing their private key and just make sure they don't lose it anywhere. You know. Yeah, and we all know that's not very uh, a simple <laughs> task for patients, especially Definitely like not. you know, people forget their passwords, they forget their email addresses today. You know, so it's it's a. Uh... <laughs> it can happen. I know. Yeah. Yeah. It can and that's a that's a part of the you know the double the, the benefit and cost of uh, distributed uh, the data security part right. So you do have a security data security in place, which means like you are the only one who knows it, and you have to make sure you know it every time you want it use it. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. My next question is regarding identity verification. So you know you'll have a private key to verify your identity. That's kind of what you were saying. 
do you utilize a different service for that or is it a native application that you have inside of your um, Vita data platform? Um, that's a very good question. So in terms of identity, so um, because uh, right now, I think the product or the service that we are trying to providing is still kind of uh, uh, need to need to be um, populated with uh, customers before get, getting their trust. And for any series, series like medical research, depending on the requirement, we'll go through the QIC uh, process just to make sure we have which their, process. Uh, QIC. QIC, oh, QIC, right. Yeah, QIC problem. customer, right. Yeah, because some of the medical research requires to know the identity of the patients who's in the program, right? So in that case, we definitely go through the QIC procedures to make sure um, we know who's in the program. But like in terms of a general user, consumers who are using this service, and they are assigned, when they sign up, they will assign with a one, like a one, private key, pair of a private key and a public key, and so that as an ID for themselves. Um, and they're in this terms, in this in this case, so we do not require too much uh, as long, but we do require when they using the devices to transmit the data, they need to bind the device to this ID to avoid double counting. Um, so that which means like we do we, we the, the the product itself allows each ID to have a multiple devices attached to it in order to provide a more data a variety of data so that means so but but each device ID has to can be only bounded or binded with one uh, ID or wallet address that's uh, that's how we kind of design it right now so it's a many to one relationship with the devices to the individual yeah, that's what, that's what could be very much the case down the road because we when we're looking at the number of uh, uh, IoT device installment, um, it's more it's more than the the total population of Earth, uh, which implies like average every person might have a multiple around maybe five or even more like devices per person, which means like you might have a multiple sensors around yourself to collect different kinds of data. That's true. I could also imagine, let's say, there's a thermostat in a house that's telling the temperature of your environment, but that mm -hmm. same device can provide information for multiple people too. So there might need to be adjustments, in, in and if you wanted to go that route, do you know what I mean? Oh, uh, yeah, that's not a house data. That's an environment data. Fair. Yeah. Well, I mean, it could be you know implied. I mean, it could be context, like we were talking about. But yeah, it's not. Right. You're right. It's not health data, and it wouldn't be used for. Um, you know, clinical trials information. I don't think. Yeah, that's true. But 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 you do. I think you mentioned a good, interesting point. It's like a, if I give a, my tracker to my wife, for example, right? So I got a new one. I got this old one to my wife, so she can kind of use it. But we do allow them to manage the device, which means like you can unbound it and to in order to bind bound it with another ID. But at each time point in the in during the usage, and the device can be only work with one address. So that's kind of a pre-assumption to avoid double counting. Like I don't want people up, like a duplicate the data uploading during the experience. Right. You would stop. You would terminate the relationship with that one person, and you would begin a new relationship with the device, um, with, with a different person. Yes. Yes. That's right. Do you have some sort of, like, payment management? So you're saying you're gonna let these data owners, basically, uh, sort of sell their data to data users. How is payment going to work? How do the data owners get paid? Oh, uh, you mean like when their data is used? Yes. 
Okay, so regarding, to I think uh, we have not talked about tokenomics yet, but no, so uh, briefly, let's do that. <laughs> yeah, not yet. So the, the tokenomics of the project is my favorite part, uh, so, so because I'm kind of I'm kind of the guy who's coming. You're out an economist, it. yeah, <laughs> exactly. M makes so sense. the tokenomics is uh, what do we call it? Is a stackable rewards mechanism, which means like uh, it will incentivize each individual to contribute data in a continuous fashion. Okay, um, the longer the data length you contribute, the higher marginal data value you have. So which means like if you if you contribute a, a year already and your data, each data point is going to be worth more than somebody who just started. And also it allows a stackable in terms of a, a data variety. If you contribute like a three, four kinds, and you're going to earn definitely more more uh, rewards than just contributing one data, one kind of a data. Um, also, um, in terms of data usage, back to your question. So, if somebody using your data, right? So, we uh, one interesting example is like uh, people, um, people. The one patient is recruited. The average cost of that may be around somewhere twenty k. Um, so even I, I claim that I can save them 80% of the cost and then we'll bring it down to somewhere around 1500 and I will can share that with the data owner and that's going to be a big rewards for their data usage. Yeah. So we do have this a pro yeah we call this a profit share mechanism and which is uh, prevailing in other industries or uh, financial sectors anywhere pretty much. And so we share because it's a data sharing platform. So we also have this profit sharing with the data owners who contribute data for medical research. So will the asset that's being provided is it going to be your token or is it going to be fiat money? So how does that work? Uh, you mean like when the data use happens? Yeah. So what oh. what kind of money are we talking here? What like what type of asset? You know, is it going to be VDT your token, or uh, is it yeah, going to be so like an Amazon gift card? How is it? How is the monetary asset tr given to the owner, data owner? Um, that's what a very mechanism? good question. So right now, um, uh, we are we are, we have a couple options in mind right now, uh, because uh, most of the enterprises has not uh, adopting the tokens or not does not allow tokens to be line items for their accounting purpose, which means uh, like uh, they will pay out a fiat, and in this case, and we we'll, we can do sh profit share uh, in in fiat so that to get the profit share directly to the data owners. Uh, and we also give them options if they think they can take it. Some of people have a better profile um, with different profiles. They might think, okay, I'm okay with the taking tokens. If that's okay, so we can just uh, translate that into exchange that into tokens and put them into wallet, making it easier. So the, which means that they will get their tokens uh, much faster than getting the fiat because uh, getting fiat has to go through a certain payment process and that's going to take a longer time. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, just in general, that's the one of the benefits of using a blockchain system is that you're able to just create wallets and send value over the network, like, you know, without the involvement of um, fiat. Systems. Exactly, because we are using smart contract to manage the whole process, including payments and profit share, all the stuff. So things are, well, tokens work just seamlessly with uh, 
smart contract uh, on on the platform. So the user experience uh, will definitely much better uh, than than having having a profit share in the fiat uh, currency. Uh, but certainly, I I think that data owners have their own thoughts, like uh, they want to see the real money, which is okay, and we will just uh, take a longer time to process. Yeah. So these smart contracts, are you able to later adjust the algorithm for the, or the you know the actual contract terms in the future, or now that they're set or once they become set, is it going to become permanent? Like, what if you after you watch people start to use it, you realize that maybe the the data length time can be a little shorter and they could still be rewarded with a little bit more or something like that? Um, is it adjustable? Oh, very good question. For token economics itself, it's uh, um, actually it's a dynamic. It's dynamic, which means like uh, uh, we have there's one mechanism I did not mention yet, which is uh, when the platform have more users, when the total amount of a such kind of a data becomes more easily available, and which means that the marginal value of that data actually decreasing. Mm-hmm. So you're looking at a two index. One is the index for individual data lengths which is increasing all the time, which motivated people to contribute more data all the time. But on the other hand, because a lot of more similar people, a lot more people contributing similar data to this platform, the marginal data value for such kind actually is decreasing. So the, the final data, um, data index will be a combination of the both. So you are looking at a combination of two functions, one which is a, one of them is increasing all the time, the other one is decreasing all the time. It really depends on the dynamics to the two, and so you may end up with a, a dynamic three-dimensional um, uh, data index, kind of kind of go up and down, and it so which helps to stabilize the token distribution over the platform in, within a time period. Think about it as a um, Analogy example to Bitcoin's the difficulty adjustment algorithm. Um, the difficult algorithm helps to stabilize the block generation time, even around uh, around ten minutes per block. And it a comment, it, it increases or decreases depending on the total competition hash rate available over the network. So the token index here is similar to that uh, a difficulty algorithm adjustment. And then helps you to gauge how valuable this data over the platform. Also, like uh, how valuable this data in terms of in each individual's data series. So it's like a complicated three-dimensional supply-demand curve, basically. Yes, yes. It's a, so the token economics design is based on multi-factors, which are driven the data use and the data value. And the, not, not every factor just driving it up. So you have a combination of the, all the factors together. You will see a dynamic indexes through time. Interesting. Um, yeah, we're trying to make it because stabilizing in terms of a, a platform operation. My next question is about data storage, and I wonder how is the data stored, or what is your plan to? Where is the data going to be stored? Definitely not on chain. Not on chain. <laughs> Yeah, not on chain. That's that's something we know for sure. So um, also, it's not efficient because of the data. Potentially, the data we are looking at, including like binaries, uh, um, like binary data, and also some of the imaging data. Um, that's uh, probably most uh, uh, 
most available data from IoT devices, and you can and also like location data. So those data, uh, we are thinking to use a block stack as one of the way the, the options to solve the storage problem is because of the the flexibility uh, block stack offers. Like they allow you to choose where you want to save, um, and also give you the flexibility to work with the blockchain directly. Right, with Blockstack, you can allow a user to save their data on Dropbox or Google Drive or um, any sort of you know public or publicly available cloud service data storage. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's exactly what it is. So I think it led to the consumers or data users, to, data owners, to decide where they want to see the data. Just to give them another uh, layer of comfort in terms of data security. So. You know, when I saw your demo, actually, I saw that every, you know, few seconds there was a new data entry and that wasn't going into the blockchain. That wasn't a transaction oh, in the blockchain, was oh, it? For the working demo right now? Yeah. For the working demo right now is uh, we need to kind of demo that the data is synced up with the blockchain together. So right now the block stack part is not in there yet. So the data is the simulation data. Um, and okay. it's just for demo purposes. So we, 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 the demo, the demo is a try and demonstrate like uh, all the data flows so is real. So that right now the data is uh, saved on the chain, which is uh, okay for now. Okay. And, but, but, but like uh, when, when this in you know, real operation, all the final, like the final uh, product release, it would not like that. So you have multiple protocol layers, including proof of diligence, proof of neutrality and proof of efficiency. Can you just, kind of quickly describe or you know explain what those protocols do yeah sure um so this three actually d defines the, the um protocols of for like uh, the role of functions of different players on the platform including data owner that's uh, the, what we call proof of diligence essentially it's uh, uh, the mechanism to to motivate them to continuously contribute data in exchange of rewards and also keep up with the data quality. Um, then the proof of uh, neutrality is, a, is a, the protocol for the platform itself. It's like in terms of the network operation, it regulates uh, the role and the functions of what what the platform can do or cannot in terms of uh, uh, operation. And uh, because they will facilitate certain transactions or data aggregations, but there so will be a protocol like a basic list lay out like list all the things that they can do uh, and, and what they cannot. Um, for a protocol of eff efficiency, essentially this way, uh, what we are trying to offer here is a cost-effective solution. Um, because of the data provided on a platform and nobody will touch it or change it, but we can tag it, tag it in terms of uh, label it as a, uh, the quality, in terms of quality. And but we as a platform, we're not uh, expert of the research uh, in any categories. We actually give this uh, give the data user and a, um, the option to do it for us. If they can prove that the data quality has a problem or not, uh, if this data quality has it's not usable, it's not cannot be used for research at all. And they can label the data and send it send it back to us. If after review if we agree with them, and we'll refund whatever payment they already paid for that data part segment. 
And therefore, this efficiency helps the platform to improve the data quality as the data being used by different uh, 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 data users. And in that way, and the data, and this is where it can be more interesting. Is like uh, if your data has been used multiple times and proved to be okay, and that emerge, the price for that data point actually will be higher than uh, a data which has never been used. I so see. So, why. if I was a data owner and every t every time a new data user uses that same piece of data, I get rewarded a little bit more every time because it's yeah. been it's been proven to be a useful piece of information, or it just seems to be more valuable. Exactly. Exactly. So that means uh, similar to when you go to Amazon, you buy something, right? You go with the one who has uh, most of the reviews, right? So yeah. that means like, okay, this is a trustable. Word. This is a trustable product like you can buy and uh, you know get a peace of mind so mm -hmm. that's the, that's why they got the more value out of it and uh, so so is the data part okay can you can you explain nrc20 tokens and how you oh. you know what that what they are yeah nrc20 actually is uh, the working demo right now is a build not it's not built up on Ethereum. It's built on Nebulas.io, which is uh, uh, similar to Ether, but the 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 development tools they have is much easier to work with. And ARC twenty protocols is the token standards they created. Uh, they created a similar to ERC twenty, but it will based on Nebulas uh, uh, chain uh, blockchain instead of Ethereum. So, is there a benefit to using Nebulous versus Ethereum? You said that there's better tools for developers, right? That's one one reason. Do you yeah, think that? It. Do you think that there'll be a time when other Ethereum or Solidity developers will jump onto Nebulous? I mean, there's different platforms. There's many other platforms: EOS, uh, Neo. But do you see Nebulous as being more superior to Ethereum? I don't want to comment on that because that's a very tricky question. So, but there's a lot of public chains platforms available in terms of doing different things. Uh, they have a slightly different concepts. Uh, they have a, they can have a different consensus protocols or encryption hash algorithm uh, in order to uh, speak to skill either to get some advantage of uh, efficiency or encryption or privacy things like that. And uh, comparing Nebulous, I think the most difference about the biggest difference between Nebulous and uh, Ethereum is uh, one is they are based on DPoS. Uh, they are not based on POW, uh, which is the Ethereum is current on, and also which means it's faster. And nothing is uh, they have uh, more, I, I think, a more easy to use, more friendly development tools uh, for developers. And that's uh, just a speed up the development process uh, to make it easier for the working demo part. And for the audience, DPoS is just a delegated proof of stake. It's just a different uh, consensus protocol for um, that Nebulous uses. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I just wanted to clarify that because not sure. everyone knows. <laughs> uh, can you tell me a little bit more about the VDT uh, token and what its function is, what its utility is? Uh, yeah, the utility actually is uh, the one of the things is uh, is use it as a measurement account for your data. Um, so what the total, uh, me measurement measurement account measurement of account essentially is a uh, uh, each token has the three functions: either used as a storage of a value, or exchange intermediary, uh, intermediary, or 
the uh, unit measures. Um, so I, the token essentially is used to help measure the value of the data you contribute to that platform. Uh, so uh, because uh, because we try to uh, encourage everybody to continuously provide in data so that the token is a way that they see all these uh, uh, incentives and motivation so that so that they keep, can keep uh, keep up doing it. Um, so I we understand that tokens uh, can, might mean not much does not mean much to data owners. They probably want something related to health, right? So we do within the platform, we do have a marketplace where can offer some real health benefit so that they can using tokens to exchange for roles. Uh, in terms of like uh, of, uh, examples of like a chronic disease management and also like AI-based pre-diagnostic um, and also third is like uh, some uh, organic, uh, like uh, food or vitamin supplementary, or even you got we offer discount for certain IoT devices. That's interesting. Are are those um, are those tools available yet? Are those marketplaces available yet? Or are it still in kind of idea mode? At this time, oh yeah, this right now is still in the concept mode. Is uh, we are working on it. Uh, the working demo does not have it, uh, and we recently landed a couple of letter of intent to with a couple of uh, research teams uh, who are doing related uh, autism related project uh, research and eye and care eye 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 related care and also oncology. Things like that. That's a, they. They have been great on the algorithm part. They will be. Uh, we we kind of uh, hate to, to a point where they would love to use a platform to help collect data, also promote their algorithm in terms of pre-diagnostic. I see. Yeah. How do you make money as a company, or how uh, do you intend yeah, to make so money? Yeah. So I I two parts because we have a, a data exchange part module and also this marketplace. So for the for for the data being used by the medical research team or whoever uh, the enterprise is uh, the the commercial clients will be the one who paying for the data use and will get some commission out of that and that's the profit share part uh, if there's a payment like a transaction in terms of buying services and we're going to profit we'll get some commission out of that too and to share the profit with uh, the the team who's providing the algorithm so that's kind of the two places where we can um, uh, get revenues for net. Okay. Yeah. What are some of the adoption challenges, do you think, for getting traction? Uh, for this, because uh, um, definitely user experience will be one thing. And uh, um, we need kind of a popular socialize this idea, say that you, you know what, your, your data is uh, valuable and you can use that to ex in exchange of a health benefit. Uh, in this case, I, I think this idea is relatively easy to go through the consumers, uh, but uh, certainly we need to prove that the platform is trustworthy and uh, be sustainable in operation. That's something. That's uh, that's always the case for some startup like us, and to meet, to you know showcase uh, the application and uh, how how well the product can be in terms of changing. Uh, ch ch Changing the changing the world or making this a better experience for everybody. Um, yeah, yeah, I, absolutely. It's it's yeah. tough to the user experience part is really big, and yeah. I think that's very common with a lot of other healthcare blockchain startups. It's 
it's it's a challenge <laughs> for sure. I, I agree with you. Yeah. And one of the things I want to point out because uh, we are a DApp using data for data exchange for tokens, and that's just the fundamental to solve one dilemma situation. When people are using DApp or distributed application, the first thing they need to do is they need to find somewhere to buy tokens, get it into their wallet, right? That's always the difficult part. And with our uh, DApp, because you are contributing data to in-exchangeable tokens, you will not experience that dilemma. And you can just simply upload some data and then to get a token. So your balance, your wallet balance can be always positive. Uh, unless you want to use a, a significant amount for health related product and service. So you can start uploading your data and you'll be immediately, you, you will get um, tokens for that. You don't have to put down some tokens as collateral. Okay. For this case, no. For a case, this is a case, no. For vital data data contribution, you don't have to do that. Yeah. So you go earn tokens when you start using the app, and then you that's just to solve the fundamental problem when people are using the app. It's like I need to get token first before, or learn how to right. set up MetaMask first, which is crazy for consumers. Yeah, they, it's hard to comprehend. At least. It takes some education. That's the only thing. Um, my next yeah. question is regarding, you know, your industry partners or people you're speaking with, advisors. What is the most promising potential partnership that you're building now? I think uh, I think for digital health data applications, a couple of applications will be very uh, promising. One is with uh, health insurance companies. Um, I know they are they are actually offer incentives and uh, credits to people who doing regular exercises in terms of walking or going to gyms. And certainly this platform can help to automate that proc, the benefit of claim process. Do you have any specific uh, examples now with companies you're speaking with that are, you know, sounds very promising? I can't really discuss at this moment. So we are still in steel smoke. Uh, but I, I think uh, one of the things is like uh, uh, if you... Uh, so there's a there's a benefit like if you go to like certain times, uh, like a, maybe 25 or 50 times a gym per year, you will get some credit back from a health insurance. It's like a couple several hundred. Uh, it's it's a not a lot, but it's a sizable, and this will give you the benefit, like it'll give you the motivation to do more exercises. And the platform can help you to automate that benefit claim process. That's the one thing. And also, if you are regular, like uh, doing exercises, your health condition is very good. And uh, this is probably you can want, you want your uh, insurance company to know about that. And they might be able to come up with a uh, uh, customized policy for you, which means that you can get some discount out of your policy. Yeah. Um, so I think like to kind of wrap up, can you tell me a little bit about the roadmap and then talk about how your what your plans are for the next few months few years uh sure um uh, so the roadmap right now we finished the white paper um and also having the working demo in terms of data uh synch synchronization uh, uploading storaging and a search from the web portal um and also and so right now we are looking for a cornerstone funding for the project which is, which is supposed to happen in the Q4. And then in Q1, we'll focus on the uh, the product development, both the, the mobile application and also the uh, backend web portal. And so that we, we target to release that around end of uh, Q1. Um, 
So in terms of roadmap, is we are thinking as follows. So we are started with this D app, and we will focus on the function of this house data sharing. And from the app, we're going to learn and verify how people want to use it for whatever purpose and how to make it better. And then we learn the market demand through the D app, and then we'll try and as as long as the as as the project evolves forward, we'll uh, try to see if we there's a need actually to customize the, the blockchain, and to be a vertical public chain focused on health data sharing. Uh, one of the things is uh, if you look at it over your body, you might have uh, over a thousand data points, uh, which means like if you really want to collect them all, you could one chain might not be enough. So you might facing a put. Uh, possibility like you have a, a main chain and working with multiple child chains which child which which focus uh, each of which focus on one type or categories of health data for example like a cardiology uh, some of the neuro neurology or like a muscle sports and some of the related to your um, skin like an eye and a ear things like that. You might end up with the subcategories of a child chain handling particular type of data. Um, so that means like they might, then at that point, and then we'll better, we'll better uh, picture about how to come up with that chain fitting this particular application scenario. Yeah. yeah, I think that's interesting because you're right. It's not just a wristband that's collecting information. There could be... Um, clothes in the future smart clothes that's detecting your movement and your gait how you're walking uh also temperature of your skin your perspiration how you're sweating maybe uh, all these things you know incorporate into stress factors and you want to potentially have all that data as context or as primary information for your research potentially i mean i, I do yeah. see a world where we will begin collecting vast amounts of data from ourselves Probably most of it won't even be useful, honestly, right? Uh, um, At least to start with. I right. Think. So I think uh, um, you will will. There's a lot more data will become available in the future. Um, I believe I, I agree with you in the sense like the data wouldn't be useless until somebody analyze it. Mm -hmm. uh, therefore, uh, analysis of the data will be looked at and vested uh, data for causality causality and a. a correlation between different types of data and including environment factors. And until then, we won't be able to really see about whether this data are used or not. Probably most of it useless. But right, it's important. The important yeah. thing is also how do you incentivize the right data users to use it right in the right way and how to analyze it in a useful way is going to be interesting. Um, is there anything else you want to tell the audience or discuss here today? Sure, sure. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to share this uh, the, this project with everybody. And uh, um, I just want to kind of emphasize what we are trying to do here. So Vitadata itself is a, a digital health data sharing platform uh, powered by blockchain. And here's we're trying to bridging the digital health market with uh, clinical research or medical research field where like they have bottleneck problems looking for uh, the patients or the data source. And in the meantime, we'll also provide um, uh, the data owners all the control of their own data use. And essentially, so you can use your data in exchange for a real health benefit. 
And I believe this project is not just of using blockchain technology, try to do uh, to make it um, for profit, but it does has a social impact piece in there to um, to make to make um, to to make everybody get to a better health state. Um, in the, the uh, one of the examples that we're trying to convince people is that you might have uh, you might have a serious health issues. And which like you might not be capable of uh, working to make a, a daily life, like a get a paychecks and make a have have the right have the good quality life as uh, not others right. But this platform is offer you a chance to use your data, which your data might be more valuable in medical research, which means that you get more compensation for that. Then that compensation essentially becomes what you can get. Or from your data to get it yourself to a health benefit uh, state, and then which means open another window for you, for people like uh, having having serious health situations, and also give them the options to find more health, uh, you know, help uh, for that. I think that's a that's a yeah. great final point because you know there's many people who do have debilitating diseases and they you know aren't able to work or they aren't able to live their lives. Um, you know, as they want to, or, you know, they're not capable of doing everything they want to. So at exactly. least giving them this platform will allow them to, you know, have some monetary compensation by providing their data. So really um, great stuff. I, I see the social impact side of that as well. And um, Dennis, I want to thank you so much again for being on the show. And I think that, you know, it'll be interesting to see in the next few months and years how you're platform develops and i wish you the best of luck hey all you cyberpunk health warriors and nimble digital disruptors check out healthunchained.org and remember to subscribe to health unchained on stitcher soundcloud google play and itunes join the health unchained community on our telegram group t.me slash health unchained If you enjoyed this episode, tell your friends, your bosses, your teams, your students to listen and subscribe. Thank you.